It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After this episode, go to ChristianQuestions.com to check out other episodes, Bible study resources, videos, download the CQ app, and more. Today's topic is, am I throwing away my life's greatest privilege? Coming up in this episode, God always wins in the end, but sometimes that's hard to believe. In Israel, after King Solomon died, there was an immediate fracturing of the nation, and yet the two men leading the opposing sides had God's direction right before them. How could such positive potential end up so bad? Here's Rick and Julie. Welcome, everyone. I'm Rick. I'm joined by Julie, our CQ contributor for several years now. Julie, what's our theme scripture for this episode? 1 Kings 12, 24. Thus saith the Lord, ye shall not go up nor fight against your brethren, the children of Israel. Return every man to his house, for this thing is from me. When God miraculously rescued his people from Egyptian slavery and established Israel as a nation, he put a system of rulership through judges in place that did not include having a king. Before you knew it, the people complained to the prophet Samuel because they wanted a king, just like everybody else. Even though they were warned of the dire consequences that a monarch would bring, they stood fast in their desire, so God let them have their way. Saul was Israel's first king, and of course, that did not end well. David was their second king, and his life and reign ended with turmoil. Solomon was their third king. His reign began in wisdom and faithfulness and ended in the grip of hideous idolatry. From that time on, Israel's unity fractured, and they would never have a king to rule over their entire nation again. Man, what? happened? Well, Israel and its rulers would teach us how easy it is to throw away great privilege. In this two-part series, we're going to track the events that broke the nation of Israel into two separate kingdoms. And as with the experiences of King Solomon, we're going to watch the opportunities and privileges given by God himself be squandered and lost by the kings that followed him. But more importantly, for us, the potential for us who follow our King Jesus. All right, so there's a lot of lesson learning to be done. And as we go through the lessons, we're going to frequently stop and ask this question. Am I protecting or polluting my privileges? This is an important question. We're coming back to it frequently. And here's the first thing, the first response to that. It's easy to look back at Israel and say, look, (laughs) I would never do that. What's so much harder is looking at my own experiences to trace and track my own patterns of half-hearted obedience to or ignoring of God's will and way in my own life. Let's look at and see the lessons of opportunities lost in these accounts we're going to be looking at and decide that we will not follow the folly of foolish pride. Yeah, we want to have the proverbial mirror in our hands as we go through these accounts of the kings and they're exciting accounts they're yeah they're exciting and they're dramatic there's a lot that goes on here so let's let's lay some groundwork to understand how god's chosen nation so could so irreparably split we need to understand the conditions of that nation beforehand solomon was king in all of his glory he had hundreds of foreign wives and he degraded himself and his people into grotesque idol worship. So the incredible wisdom 
degraded into this. So we need to go through this and give ourselves some context. Let's look at 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 3, 4, and 13. He, meaning Solomon, had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned his heart away. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. So we've got Solomon turning away. So in other words, he was facing the right direction, but he turned away. And here's what happened. Solomon brought Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Milcom, the detestable idol of the Ammonites, and he brought them into Israel. He established places of worship for the idols Chemosh and Molech. I mean, you don't get too much worse than what he did. Let's look at 1 Kings 11. Again, let's now do verses 6 and 8. Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not follow the Lord fully as David his father had done. Thus also he did for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. So every wife with one of these idols, they got a place of worship. They got a place of worship. They got a place of worship. It got contaminated. So uh, there's an important quote from Matthew Henry's concise commentary about this. He said, there is not a more melancholy and astonishing instance of human depravity in the sacred scriptures than is here recorded. Solomon became a public worshiper of abominable idols. Probably he gave by degrees, gave way to pride and luxury, and thus lost his relish for true wisdom. Isn't that just so sad? Oh, that's that's an ouch statement if I've ever heard one. Very eloquently mm-hmm. stated, too. Just it, it helps you understand how bad things were. And here, here, here's what you end up with. Divided loyalty. Divided loyalty will, over time, subtly and ultimately bring one to the sad state of being unworthy of trust. That's what happens with divided loyalty. You become unworthy of trust. And here's how we're going to see that unfold. First Kings, again, chapter 11, now verses 9 and then 11 to 13. Now the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. So the Lord said to Solomon, because you have done this and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Now, Rick, that's an important foreshadowing. Continuing with verse 12. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father, David, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant, David, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. Boy, there is a lot in these verses as the kingdom's destiny is being related to Solomon. And first of all, it says God appeared to him twice. And what that's telling you is he was special in God's sight. And this is what he did with that being special. You haven't kept my covenant. The kingdom is going to be ripped away from you, but not the whole kingdom. Why? Not because of you, but because of your father, David. Because David, in the midst of his ups and downs and his weaknesses, was a model of honoring and loyalty to God. And then he says, I'm not going to tear away the whole kingdom. Why? Because of David, not you. And then he says, I'm going to honor Jerusalem. Why? Because that's my chosen city. So in other words, Solomon, you've messed everything up, but because of things that have gone before you, I will keep some of these things intact. And that's an important point to understand how God works through these kinds of experiences. So let's pause 
and let's draw the lesson. Am I protecting or polluting my privileges? Julie, what do we have? God's favor is pure privilege. This privilege brings opportunity, which in turn brings responsibility, which in turn brings accountability. God is always fair and merciful when he bestows such grace. A question is, what will we do when the opportunity to have his privilege upon us comes our way? Good question. What do I do? It's great to look at Solomon and say, boy, he did he mess it up. What do I do? While both David and Solomon ruled over a united kingdom of the 12 tribes of Israel, tribal jealousies were prevalent between the northern and southern regions, especially between Ephraim in the north and Judah in the south. The nation's capital of Jerusalem and the worship center of the temple were both in the south. And that ends up being another important detail as we unfold this account of these two kings, as you mentioned earlier. All right, so we've got two players in this account. We've got Jeroboam and Rehoboam. So remember how I read that God said, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Okay, Jeroboam was the servant of Solomon. And 1 Kings eleven twenty eight describes him as this mighty man of valor. And his father was from Ephraim in the north. And Solomon appointed him in charge of Solomon's conscripted or forced labor force. Now, that was Jeroboam. Rehoboam is one of Solomon's sons. The other one was a servant. This is a son. At age 41, he was given the throne of Israel when Solomon died. His mother, Solomon's wife, was an Ammonite. And interestingly, of all the children Solomon had by all these thousand or so wives and concubines, he's the only son that's named in the Bible. Now, it's easy to remember because they're alphabetical. You have J for Jeroboam. He comes first in the alphabet. So he's from the north. So go ahead and picture him at the top of Israel. R for Rehoboam comes second. He's from the south. Picture him in the bottom part of Israel for now. Don't forget to look at the CQ Rewind show notes that we create for every episode because we've got some maps in there that will show you this as well. Okay, and and, and the issue here, the challenge the, is, is look, Jeroboam, Rehoboam, Boam. I mean, we've got this Boam thing going on and, and it can be confusing. So Jeroboam is the individual we're going to focus on first. He's not Solomon's son. He's the other guy. So let's look at what happens <laughs> the, to the other guy. That's right. He's let's, a servant. That's right. Let's look at what happens to this other guy. Well, a prophet of God came to Jeroboam with a dramatic message. And before we read the scripture, understand when a prophet of God comes to you with a message, this is one of the greatest privileges you can have. God is speaking to you through this prophet. First Kings 11, 29 to 38. All right, I'm just going to sum up the first few verses, and then we're going to start with verse 31. So you have this prophet of the Lord. His name's Ahijah. He comes to Jeroboam in a field, and Ahijah is wearing a new cloak. He tears it into 12 pieces. That's curious. Verse 31 continues with this. He says to Jeroboam, take for yourself 10 pieces. For thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and give you 10 tribes, but he will have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen from all the tribes of Israel. Okay, let, let, let's pause there for a moment, because again, you have this, this mention about mm-hmm. my servant David, and you have this, this, this respect 
for King David and his absolute loyalty to God. Because King David, in his imperfection, showed us how to be loyal. He showed us how to recognize his sins, go before God, and stand up again. And he was Solomon's father. Solomon understood this. Undoubtedly, Rehoboam would have heard something about David. How come nobody listens to the man after God's own heart? That's beside me. But you have this incredible example of loyalty in imperfection. That's a key factor here. And not only would Rehoboam have known, but Jeroboam would have known too, even though he, because he worked for the court, he worked for the family, so to speak. So we continue with verse 33, because they have forsaken me, this is God speaking through the prophet, and have worshiped all those gods that Solomon not walked in my ways, doing what is right in my sight and observing my statutes and my ordinances as his father David did. Nevertheless, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, but I will make him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of my servant David, whom I chose, who observed my commandments and my statutes. And people like to talk about God's generational punishment, but here we see his generational mercy. God would let Solomon's son Rehoboam keep a small part of the kingdom, again, out of respect for his grandfather David. And again, you see David coming up in, 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 in such a respectful way. This is a hint how to hang on to the privileges that God gives us. Now, this division here would be a governmental division only, as the center of worship, remember, would remain in the south and the temple with the temple in, in Jerusalem. Jeroboam would be blessed if he kept God's commandments. And if, that's a little word, but it's a really big word here because there's a lot riding on this. We need to understand that if is something that we have to look at. If we, then he. That's always the way God will work. Now, talking about Jeroboam, you have to imagine he must have been a great man of integrity and leadership that, number one, Solomon would put him in charge over so many and in such important projects. And two, that the Lord would even make this kind of promise about trusting him with God's own people. So let's take a look at 1 Kings eleven thirty-seven to 38. And this is God speaking to Jeroboam through this prophet. He said, I will take you and you shall reign over whatever you desire and you shall be king over Israel. Can you imagine that? <laughs> then it will be that if you listen to all that I command you and walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight by observing my statutes and my commandments, as my servant David did, then I will be with you and build you an enduring house as I built for David, and I will give Israel to you. The references to David cannot be understated. He's the key. He's the one you go back to and say, just like David. And whenever you say like David, it's a good thing. So Jeroboam is being shown what this blessing is. This is undoubtedly the greatest privilege of his entire life. And he was a mighty man of valor. And this, this man of valor was in a position for untold blessing and favor. All he had to do what was, is what was right in God's sight. That's all he had to do. And the interesting thing about doing what's right in God's sight is when you fall down, you get up, you ask for forgiveness, and you go back to it. That's how you do what's right in God's sight. So now let's pause. Let's look at our own lesson. Am I protecting or polluting my privileges? What do we have, Julie? 
Well, it's not every day that we're given an opportunity for such a profound privilege, but the key to understanding this is to realize that God will only offer this kind of blessing to those he knows are capable of following through. Here's a mirror question. Am I trusting in God's trust in me? Am I trusting in God's trust in me? We need to look at this as a lesson from what's being unfolded before this mighty man uh, of valor, Jeroboam. So this kind of thing that can either excite us beyond, this is the kind of thing that can either excite us beyond measure or scare us to death. God wants to give me what? Hmm. So God speaks through a prophet to Jeroboam about restoring Israel's spirituality. What could possibly go wrong? (laughs) Yeah, well... The Bible is full of what can go wrong when God gives instruction and opportunity, and this account, unfortunately, will be no exception. The difficulties begin with King Solomon himself, as he hears of God's choosing Jeroboam to be the king of the northern tribes. What does Solomon do? Solomon tries to put Jeroboam to death. But Jeroboam fled to Egypt under the protection of the pharaoh Shishak. So you've got Solomon still in the picture, looking to wipe out what he sees as a threat to his throne. All right, so Solomon dies, and his son, Rehoboam, takes the throne as this new ruler of Israel. So it's now safe for Jeroboam to leave Egypt, return to his house in the north. Now, so far, we've only talked about the promise made to Solomon's servant, Jeroboam, but now we're going to be talking about Rehoboam, that's Solomon's son. So we've got Jeroboam in place. So again, let's pause because all of this, the reason we're talking about all of this, it's a great history lesson, but we need to understand what can I learn from this? What can I learn about the privileges God gives to me? So again, we ask the question, am I protecting or polluting my privileges? So what's our lesson here, Julie? Let's pick up our mirrors because too often we see God's blessing and opportunities misused or squandered. Too often we look at the experiences of a King Solomon and wonder just how things can go that wrong, but how often do we look in the mirror and see where our opportunities and privileges are being wasted? So let's look at the story now. We can easily waste our opportunities and privileges. Much of the splendor of King Solomon's greatness was accomplished at the expense of his people. Heavy taxes, conscription, or forced labor turned what could have been loyalty into thankless labor and burden. Here's what happens. People under such burdens will, when given the chance, undoubtedly look to revolt. Mm, Yes, and with Solomon now gone, these discontented northern tribes send word to Jeroboam to be their leader in presenting a petition to the new king, Solomon's son, Rehoboam. Everyone is established and they're assembled here at the king's coronation in the town of Shechem. We're going to pick up the story in 1 Kings 12, 3 to 4. Then they sent and called him and Jeroboam, remember he's from the north, and all the assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam saying, your father made our yoke hard. Now, therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke, which he put on us, and we will serve you. So you have a lot of moving parts here. And and the key, like you mentioned, Julie, is everybody's together. And with Jeroboam as the spokesperson, he's representing the people saying, this has been 
overwhelmingly painful and difficult and hard. He's talking about burdens, heavy burdens. Well, historically, how heavy, how, how big were these burdens? Well, I found a commentary by C.T. Russell, and here's the quote. He divided, meaning Solomon, the whole country into 12 districts, each of which was compelled to furnish contributions to the luxury of the royal palaces and court. He also established a system of forced labor in connection with the building of roads, palaces, fortifications, immense gardens, reservoirs, and so on. And while these public improvements were in many respects proper enough, the method of securing the labor was particularly distasteful to the Israelites who were thereby reminded of Egyptian slavery, end quote. So not only were they forced into this grueling work, but taxes were exorbitantly high in order to support this royal lifestyle. So now you look at the, the traditions that look at King Solomon's reign and you see this glory and all of these things and all of this development, but it came at an incredibly high price. And that high price was so hard, the labor, that obviously, you know, in the commentary talked about reminding them of Egyptian slavery. That was, a, that was something under which they couldn't survive. And so you see this pleading with the king because it was difficult. It wasn't just, oh, I, you know, I stubbed my toe. This is financially burdensome, physically burdensome, emotionally burdensome, all to the glory of the king, while well, the average person is just made low. So this message is presented to the king. And so this message to new King Rehoboam, spoken through the people's leader, Jeroboam, now we've got these two players talking to each other, show us a grand opportunity for a fresh start. The people are gathered together, and a respected leader is talking to the king. I mean, feel that. The people's request is for reasonable expectations, and their promise is to work hard. And most importantly, their promise is to be loyal. And back in those days, a promise of loyalty was like a contract. When you said it, you meant it. So let's look at 1 Kings 12, 5, and then 6. Then he, which is Rehoboam, said to them, depart for three days and then return to me. So the people departed. Now, what was happening was he's like, give me three days to think about it. This request for reasonable service was being considered with apparent thoughtfulness. All right. He didn't say no. <laughs> he's going to carefully think this through. This is good. Maybe we have a chance to finally get relief. So we'll continue with First um, Kings 12, 6. King Rehoboam, what does he do? He consulted with the elders who served his father Solomon while he was still alive, saying, how do you counsel me to answer this people? So he's going to think about it. He goes, and where does he go? He goes to the wise men of Israel. What do you say? Give me your input. I'm listening. This new king went to those who were already experienced with matters of the state. That was their job. One may think that they would be all about continuing the hard labor of Solomon, but instead, these counselors to the king, these men uh, who had experience in state affairs, they gave sound and wise advice. Here's what they said in 1 Kings 12, 7. This, this is actually remarkable. Then they spoke to him saying, if you will be a servant to these people today and will serve them and grant their petition and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. 
So this sounds like great advice that they were probably too scared to tell his father, Solomon. Yeah, and, and you think, well, why would they have been sc too scared to tell his father, Solomon? Well, remember, Solomon was the wisest man in all the world. So, you know, you don't, you don't try to argue with somebody who can just talk circles around you, and besides, he's the king, you're not. Right. But the opportunity is to look back and say, this didn't go well for the people, and now have the opportunity to speak up and have the integrity to say, do it differently, and they will serve you forever. They saw the difficulty that the people were facing. They saw the trauma and the trial and the burden and, 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 and the, the wearing out and the lack of loyalty because they were being pushed too hard. And they brought this before the king. This is, this is, this is striking. These experienced counselors knew the hardship and the, the people had previously endured had damaged their loyalty. And, and it's, you know what, with a king, it's always all about loyalty. Their loyalty had been damaged, and that a gracious response from the king, this new king, this new time, this new opportunity, would encourage and inspire the people. And it would unite them all. That's crucial. This is, we are on the precipice of something amazing. Right, right. So you have this, 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 this open opportunity to heal, to join, and to conquer, essentially, as a unit, all together. And I wanna just, just bring out a, a major point here, just, just a major principle. Respecting those who are called into service is a universal principle of loyalty. If you want someone to be loyal to you, you respect them. You don't press them, you don't push them hard, you respect them. How do we know this? Jesus taught us this. Jesus, in a very dramatic way, illustrated how to appropriately call others to loyalty. In the light of Jesus' example that we're about to go into, we're going to look at what was put before King Rehoboam and see what his opportunity was. Jesus, in Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30, is calling anyone who's willing to listen to come to him and work. Listen to what he says. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Jesus puts this invitation out. And you know, folks, we, we, we know these scriptures and we read them all the time and we feel good and we feel nice. And it's like, wow, Jesus is so compassionate. But let's take this apart. Because there's a profound message in his compassion. Several points. First point, Jesus invites those who feel worn and burdened to come to him. He's giving them a place to go. He promises them relief. Who doesn't want relief from their burdens? He lets them know that there will be work ahead as they are to take his yoke. He's telling them there is work to do. He assures them that they'll be taught how to work in a wise, gentle, and humble manner. So he's going to teach them how to do the work. So Right. So it's not blind labor. It's not conscripted labor. It's taught. It's shown. It's exampled labor. Next point. He reassures them of rest as a result of laboring in his work. So he's saying, yes, there will be work, but there will be rest with it. And what's the final point? 
his his end result assurance is that they will be able to accomplish their work. In other words, we can do this. Yeah. Yeah. See, and understand the power of when you want to draw others to a loyal position to give them the sense that we can do this and we can do this together. Whenever you approach something like that, you have this sense of unity and strength, and there is great strength in numbers. So Jesus showed us how to do this. Rehoboam, as king, has this precise example right there. So we're at a turning point for this new king, Rehoboam. Here we've got the people. They're ready to work hard for him if only the work would be reasonable. And he just received the best counsel on how to easily create true loyalty, and that would mean he would create a strong, united kingdom of Israel and go down in history as an amazing king. What would Rehoboam do? And that is the big question. So before we get to that answer, let's ask about ourselves. Am I protecting or polluting my privileges? What's the lesson, Julie? Any great privilege from God always comes fully equipped with all that is necessary to make it a flourishing success. The challenge is to see and embrace that which God has provided. Am I looking at the standard equipment that God provides with his opportunities to make them work, or am I distracted by my own ways of doing things? So, Rick, what do we get as this standard equipment that comes with our opportunity to serve God? All right. You want to go buy a car. You want to be fully fully equipped. You want to know the standard equipment, right? Yes. Yes. Here's the deal with Jesus. When, when, When God calls us to serve him through walking in Jesus' footsteps, there is a long list of standard equipment. Oh, I don't know. Things like God's spirit, his power and influence guiding you. Things like God's promises. What if you do what you, he, he, he tells us to do, what you can be, what you can receive. Things like his providence, his unfolding your experience for your best benefit. Things like, I don't know, a shield of faith, like a breastplate of righteousness, like a girdle of truth, like a helmet of salvation. These are some of the standard equipment that comes to every Christian if we decide to fully comply with God's will. Rehoboam was in that position And folks, so are we. We have a great privilege if we're called of God to follow Christ. The question is, do I look at the standard equipment and say, boy, this is something that is the most remarkable thing I have ever seen. This sounds absolutely inspiring and fulfilling. So (laughs) why are we sitting here waiting for it all to just fall apart? The stage was set for King Rehoboam to act with godliness. Would he follow through based on this wise counsel he was given? This is always the question when we are in a situation that requires sound thinking and action. Will we follow through with the highest and most righteous course of action? uh, Or are our minds tuned into other courses of action? Which is it? Here's the thing. You don't have to be a king to be in a position to make wise and appropriate use of a God-given privilege. We need to see the, the flexibility of God's privileges being before us. What do we do when we're given them? All right, so let's get back to Rehoboam. So unfortunately, instead of simply taking the advice of these experienced counselors of his father, Rehoboam asks the advice of who? The young men he grew up with. Well, that sounds so, sensible. 
Yeah. So these are his buddies that think about it. They're likely benefiting from the extravagant lifestyle of living in the court, supported by all these low ranking workers. So their advice was the complete opposite of the good counsel he received. First Kings 12, 8 and 9. But he, Rehoboam, forsook the counsel of the elders, which they had given him. And remember, he already got the right answer, but he wasn't done yet. And he consulted with the young men he grew up with and served him. So he said to them, what counsel do you give that we may answer this people who have spoken to me, saying, lighten the yoke which your father put upon us? So he goes to his buddies who are new to this whole, hey, I'm friends with the king thing, and probably looking at this is like man this is our opportunity to shine and so and 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 their buddy Rehoboam comes to them and says what advice would you give me in this situation so it's really set up now what do they do well i found a great commentary by david guzik listen to this this is a common phenomenon today what some call advice shopping <laughs> the idea is you keep asking different people for advice until you find someone who will tell you what you want to hear this is an unwise and ungodly way to get counsel it's better to have a few trusted counselors you'll listen to even when they tell you what you don't want to hear and that's where a proven counselor is so important you can say yes i trust you if there's no proof behind the one that you trust, you're likely trusting them because you've done some advice shopping and you know their advice is going to be safe. You know you're not going to have to worry, not going to have to change, not going to have to do anything that you don't want to do. Mm -hmm. This is not the way to be a wise king. So we've really set it up. Here's what happens. Here's what the young men say. First Kings uh, 12, 10 to 11. The young men who grew up with him spoke to him saying, Thus you shall say this to people who spoke to you, saying, Your father make our yoke made our yoke heavy, now you make it lighter for us, but you shall speak to them. My little finger is thicker than my father's loins. Whereas my father loaded you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions, meaning knotted whips. Wow, so they're telling him to pile it on, make it worse. Oh. Yeah, they they're and they are telling him to press them mercilessly. That's the yes. message. Pride and inexperience. That's what's speaking here. And here's what pride and inexperience says. Proclaim your power and hold on to it. If you yield even an inch, they will consider you weak and inefficient and will ask for more and more and more and more. Make sure they know who's boss. This is pride and inexperience and power seeking speaking loudly very loudly and here's some advice pride and ambition are unstable and dangerous counselors amen to that and we cannot cannot go that way when we're given privilege by god now unlike Rehoboam's grandfather, David, remember him? We've talked about him so many times through this episode. Unlike what David was quick to do, Rehoboam did not consult the Lord God in this matter. David was good at going to God when there was an issue. He was good at riding the ship, finding God's way, listening to God's prophets. He was good at that, and that's why he was a man after God's own heart. Rehoboam is now getting counsel that is completely contrary. So before we look at what happens with that, let's ask the question of ourselves. Am I protecting or polluting 
my privileges. What's our lesson here? The temptation for our personal glory and might cannot be overstated. In stark contrast, we have the ability to give God all the glory because of his might. So grab that mirror. Are we seeing our privileges as God honoring or as self-exalting? And who are we listening to? Are we feeding on the word of God or just feeding our ego? I, I love the way you said that. Are we seeing our privileges as God honoring or self-exalting? And it's the same privilege, but it's left up to our interpretation. This is such an important lesson when you look at these things. So what happens next? Let's continue with the narrative. All right, here's the big meeting, right? He's going back. He's got all his counsel and he's going to go back. What is he going to say on day three? First Kings 12, 12 to 14. So Jeroboam, remember, he's the servant of Solomon from the north, and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day as the king had appointed, saying, come to me again the third day. And the king answered the people roughly and forsook the old men's counsel that they gave him and spake to them after the counsel of the young men, saying, my father made your yoke heavy and I will add to your yoke. My father also chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. Wherefore the king hearkened not unto the people. Ah, wrong answer. Yeah. <laughs> wrong answer. So Bible commentary, again, back to David Guzik, who's quoting Pastor Stephen Dilday, with a dozen rash words, Rehoboam, the bungling dictator, opened the door for 400 years of strife, weakness, and eventually the destruction of the entire nation. Ugh, we came so close. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, that's a big ouch that you just described here. He had this opportunity to truly bring the people together. And he followed the example, he followed the counsel of those who had no experience and were simply power hungry. So Rehoboam, by following that counsel, brought the pattern and put the pattern in place that would destroy the nation of Israel, that would take God's chosen people and break it into pieces. That's not something you want to ever be remembered for, and yet that's what he's doing here. Rehoboam displays several failures of a foolish king that we can learn from. So let's, again, let's take a look at what he's doing, how he's doing it, and see what we can draw from it. So several things, not everything, but several things. First of all, the, the, the first failure is not seeking God's will in a matter of importance. And to illustrate each of these failures, we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 3 and quote several verses as an answer to each of these failures. So we're going to start with Proverbs 3, 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Now, Solomon was given the gift of God's wisdom, as we know, and he wrote most of the book of Proverbs. But here he writes, my son. Now, this is conjecture, but he would have known which son would be his successor on the throne. He would have, we can only assume, taken a special interest in Rehoboam in order to prepare him. He would have known of his temperament, his weaknesses, and the critical challenges that would lie ahead. So this advice to my son is crucial. So the first failure of this foolish king is not seeking God's will. Solomon's advice when he was wise my son, don't forget my teaching. 
let your heart keep my commandments. Now he's going to expand that. But he's focusing his son on pay attention to what's gone before you, the wisdom that is in front of you. The next failure of a foolish king, addressing those whose respect you seek and loyalty you expect with harsh fury. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 3. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them about your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So when you look at the simplicity of Proverbs 3, 3, don't let kindness and truth leave you. Kindness and truth. How do you hold on? Bind them around your neck. Keep them on the tablet of your heart. Keep them close to you. Here, Rehoboam, in this major decision as this new king, had the opportunity to protect and help the people through kindness and truth. And he addressed those people with this harsh fury to say to them, nope, it's all about power. The next failure of a foolish king, heeding the advice of foolishness instead of the advice of godliness. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Trust in, all the, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. So who do you trust? You trust God. Why? Because life is full of decisions. Why do you trust God when life is full of decisions? Because he'll make your path straight. Why? Because he sees the beginning from the end. Why? Because he sees from above and we're below. Don't let go of that. But yet this foolish king listened to his peers. It's called peer pressure. It's called something that we all can easily fall into if we are not paying attention. The next failure of a foolish king, making and living by bad decisions which inevitably have lasting consequences. And boy, we will see the lasting consequences as this unfolds. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 7 to 8. Do not be wise in your own eyes, Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. And I'm going to add, and by the way, in this case, it will save the entire nation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Solomon, think of the irony of this. Solomon is writing to his son, don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear God, respect God, turn away from evil. It will heal you. It will refresh you. And Julie, in this case, you're right. It could have kept a nation from fracturing. That's how powerful the goodness of this wisdom is. And that's how powerful the foolishness of this king was. What a dramatic contrast. By dwelling in the mishandling of our godly privileges, we... Now, let's, I mean, we've been talking about Rehoboam, but let's talk about us now. We will undoubtedly miss out on the blessing of his will and reject his reproof, his correction in our lives. So now we're talking about us. We've seen Rehoboam and his foolishness. Let's look at Proverbs 3, 9 to 12 and focus it on us. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. My son... Do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. And if the father is not correcting the son, the father is not showing true love for the son. So when we look at the experiences, the foolishness of King Rehoboam, 
the lessons abound. And it's easy to focus on him and say, yeah, look at that, look at that, look at that. But we need to look at us. Am I, am I protecting or polluting my privileges? Julie, what's our lesson here? To give our time and attention to ungodly input is a recipe for disaster. To take that ungodly advice and run with it is an actual disaster. Godly privileges are easily and unfortunately often traded in exchange for power, prestige, and personal preference. The question, look in the mirror, how clearly are we focusing on the appropriate process of pursuing and developing the privileges we have before us? It comes down to the clarity of our focus. It truly does with anything and everything. Folks, look at your life. And you know, if you're a Christian and you really are trying to follow God through Christ, look at the privilege of that. How are you doing with keeping that front and center when you go to work, when you hang out with your friends, when you do things that maybe you shouldn't do? How clearly do we focus on the appropriateness of what God has given us and then how we're handling it? How do we weigh that out in our own hearts and minds? This is important. These are important questions for us to consider as we look at ourselves because of these lessons. So, just as King Solomon was swallowed up in the pride of what was once wisdom, so his son was swallowed up in the power of his position. Now that Rehoboam has drawn that line in the sand, what would be the response of those who were supposed to serve him? Unfortunately, the results were easily predictable. They're always easily predictable when we aggressively step forward towards those with whom we have challenges. Let's again remember that Rehoboam was the natural heir to the throne of Israel. And therefore, therefore, he was in a position of privilege before God because this is God's chosen nation. His privilege revealed that he viewed I'm sorry, his response revealed that he viewed this privilege as an entitlement and not a God-honoring opportunity. And it makes me think about privilege versus entitlement. You know, once privilege becomes entitlement, it's no longer privilege. Privilege always has to be respected as such in our hearts and minds because once it becomes all about us, the privilege is gone. And we can't forget what a miracle it is to be chosen of God to follow Jesus. Lucifer was a great example. I think of him failing when he thought, I will be like the most high. Right. Privilege. Pri privilege. Right. Became entitlement. entitlement. It's easy to see that when somebody inherits a throne. But how mm -hmm. about the privileges we've been given by grace? See, grace means you didn't deserve it. What do you do with that? And actually, in our next episode, we're really going to delve into that aspect of things. But right now, let's get back to the account of what happens, because now that the, the proclamation from King Rehoboam has been, oh, no, it's going to be bad for you. You thought it was hard before. You just wait till I'm done with you. Well, the 10 northern tribes are not happy, to say the least, and they will end up naming Jeroboam as their king. And we're going to look at 1 Kings 12, 16 to 20. When all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, saying, What portion do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel, now look after your own house, David. In other words, good luck, we're leaving you. <laughs> 
So Israel departed to their tents. But as for the sons of Israel who lived in the cities of Judah, remember, that's the southern part, Rehoboam reigned over them. So we've got Jeroboam is the king of the north, and we've got Rehoboam staying with his king in the south. But I don't think Rehoboam's going to like that very much. Well, no. And, and, and here's what's happening. There are clear dividing lines now forming. And folks, pause. And as you look at this account, think about things in your life where things happen and then the dividing lines begin to form. God's chosen people. And think about that statement. God's chosen people. That's all of Israel, all 12 tribes. God's chosen people will soon be called Israel to the north and Judah to the south. And remember, Rick, it's all alphabetical. Okay, so <laughs> J for, that's how I've got to remember it. Okay. J for Jeroboam is at the top. R for Rehoboam is on the bottom. The nation splits into two kingdoms, Israel and Judah. I is for Israel's 10 tribes in the north. Picture it being a little top heavy. And J for the two tribes of Judah are in the south. So you've got, Easy. okay, so you've got, you're, you're making it so we can see the visual. We've got the visual and here's what's happening. This, the, the king, Rehoboam, continues to aggressively assert his kingly authority. We're in 1 Kings 12. Let's look at verses 18 and 19. Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was over the forced labor, and all Israel stoned him to death. <laughs> and King Rehoboam made haste to mount his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. All right, so that wasn't smart. Think about this. Of all the people to help tamp down this revolt, King Rehoboam sends the one who would be the people's second most hated person, the boss who forces them to work so hard. And they kill him. Well, yeah. So Rehoboam is now understandably afraid for his life. The workers are unified against him. So the situation is getting more and more dangerous because he couldn't make the right decision. And, and you think, well, why would Rehoboam send that guy of all uh. people? <laughs> because his mentality was, this is about power. This is about crushing. This is about asserting authority. So let me send the guy that's always asserted authority. We'll show them. He didn't understand the folly. He was so ingrained in the power search that he lost the people as a result and he lost that servant uh, because he was, he was stoned to death now. And, and so, sadly, aggression is met with aggression. And, and, and I want to pause here for a second because aggression is met with aggression. This is not eye for eye, tooth for tooth, life for life. That's a whole different thing. That's justice. This is anger is met with anger. Pushing, inappropriate pushing and prodding is met with the same kind of response. And, and things escalate. And folks, you all know what we're talking about. You all, you've all seen that kind of thing in life. So we see- Road rage. Yes. Road rage is exactly. a great example of that. Right. It, it escalates. It gets bigger. It gets bigger. It's bigger. Further, Rehoboam's aggression provokes a new independent identity to be formed by the tribes of the North out of self-preservation. 1 Kings twelve twenty. It came about when all Israel heard that Jeroboam had returned, that they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel. None but the tribe of Judah followed the house of David. And, you know, it always talks about, and, and Julie, we, we actually haven't mentioned this, and we should, none but the tribe of Judah followed the house of David. We kept saying it's 10 tribes to the north and two tribes mm -hmm. to the south. It always mentions Judah. That's one tribe. What's, what's, what's missing? 
the second tribe is Benjamin, but Benjamin is was so small of a tribe that it's referred to as one tribe, even though technically there's two tribes in the south. Okay, so that that just puts it in order, so the math works. Because you you made this this mental picture of the map, so we want to make sure we've got the, the top heavy, the top yes, heavy map with the J and then then the R and all that. Yes, so we just right. got to put the tribes in order. Okay, so we've got this lesson of aggression meeting aggression. Let's pause. That's the account. What about us? Am I protecting or polluting my privileges? What's our lesson? We need to be aware that even though the privileges God gives us are powerful, positive, and promising, they can easily unravel if we disrespect them. So whatever we are given in life, let us be sure that we recognize the source of all true righteousness is God, and he always must be first in our thoughts, words, decisions, and deeds. All right. So for us, whatever we are facing, we have to understand disrespecting privilege means the unraveling of that privilege. That's what it comes down to. And we see Rehoboam disrespected that privilege because he disrespected the people whom he was charged with caring for. That's not where we want to go. It's an important lesson for us to make sure we apply as we look at this in our own lives. So back to the account. Once again, we're going to see that aggression will be met with aggression. Rehoboam starts making plans to stop the revolt, and he gathers an army. He doesn't send a guy. He gathers an army to go fight the north. This is 1 Kings 12, 21. And when Rehoboam was come to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah with the tribe of Benjamin, that's 180,000 chosen men, which were warriors, to fight against the house of Israel in the north to bring the kingdom again to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. So Ricky assembles this huge army, and he's ready to take back what he believes is his. The problem with this is that all of Israel is God's chosen people. And he's taking 180,000 warriors to go up north and wreak havoc and destruction so that he can take back what's his. So in his taking back of what's his, you know what he's going to do? He's going to destroy a good portion of what's his. Through civil war. Of course. Mm. There is no sense whatsoever. In spite of their unfaithfulness, all of Israel was still God's chosen people. So what happens here? God intervenes, and he sends his prophet Shemaiah to Rehoboam. And again, when you have a prophet of God come to talk to you, you'd better listen. This is God speaking to you through that prophet. That doesn't happen in our day, but we have God's word that speaks to us instead. But here we have Shemaiah, the prophet of God, going to Rehoboam, 1 Kings 12, 22 to 24. But the word of God came unto Shemaiah, the man of God, saying, Speak unto Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and unto all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Ye shall not go up, nor fight against your brethren the children of Israel. Return every man to his house, for this thing is from me. They hearkened, therefore, to the word of the Lord and returned to depart according to the word of the Lord. So now you have a dramatic turn of events. You have 180,000 men assembled. This prophet of God says, 
don't do it. There's several layers to this instruction from this prophet of God. First point, first and most important, do not go and fight your own brothers. Don't do that. The second point that's so important, everybody needs to be sent home. Don't Mm -hmm. send them back to a camp to be ready. Send them home. They should not even stand ready to fight against their brothers. And the third point that's so important is the preserving of your brothers, your brotherhood, your nation. This thing is from God. Wow. So you want to think, why would God support such a rebellion? Why did he send them home? And a few answers we've come up with. One is, of course, 1 Kings one eleven that we read already, there was punishment from turning away from God. Remember how God said to Solomon, um, you haven't kept my statutes that I commanded you, so I'm going to rend the kingdom from you, and I'm going to give it to your servant. Um, but the Life Application Study Bible makes another suggestion, and they say this, quote, It may also have been God's way of saving Rehoboam's smaller kingdom from defeat. In doing so, God preserved David's line and kept intact his plan for the Messiah to be a descendant of David, Second Samuel seven sixteen. So you've got several options. Why did God support this this rebellion and say, just let them be? Well, first of all, he understood that there were consequences to Solomon's actions, and these were would be the consequences. Secondly, he also understood that Rehoboam just was wrong, and God would not at this point have his kingdom turn against itself. So we see that God's will is going to be done. Did Rehoboam have a choice in this? Because, you know, the prophecy was that Jeroboam would be the, 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 the king of the 12, 10 northern tribes. Of course he did. God just knew what he would choose. And, and it's so clear that a parent always knows what their child is thinking before they, they do it. If you're a good parent, you know that. And God worked that way through them and with them. So on one hand, there are natural consequences of God dishonoring thoughts and actions, and that's what happens here. But on the other hand, and we're going to talk a lot more about this in part two, our faith in God and his overruling providence in our lives as Christians should make us realize that this thing is from me. Nothing can come to us except by his divine permission. And many times our most painful experiences are by his allowing such a thing. And the greater trials result in the richest blessings often. You know, when God said, this thing is from me, it reminds me of Jeremiah 17, 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. And again, we're going to talk a lot more about this in part two. Fascinating. Yeah. And, and you know, the idea of this thing is from me, when we look at it for our lives, the this thing can be my own mistake, my own bad judgment. Uh, my own following the wrong guidance or the wrong wrong influences. It can be that. And God's not saying, I'm sending evil upon you. He's saying, I'm sending experience upon you that you may learn from it and grow through it. And interestingly, here's what happens. The prophet of God went to Rehoboam and said, don't do that, send your soldiers home. He listened. He actually listened. Mm-hmm. For a time, for about three years, Rehoboam did walk closely according to the laws of God. However, With his kingship firmly established, he also turned to disobedience because it became too easy to follow God's will, okay? And now you get restless, and now you get all puffed up about yourself, and he turned to disobedience. And here's what he did. 
I mean, this is, this is awesome. Not really, but <laughs> he permitted Judah to practice Asherim idolatry and allowed male cult prostitutes into the land. Perhaps this was because of the influence of his Ammonite mother and her family. Just not a good situation. So much for being genetically wise, right? That didn't get passed down. Yeah, no, well, and, you know, Solomon did a pretty bad job himself of keeping that genetic wisdom intact. That's true. But Rehoboam reigned as king for 17 years and died at age 58. And he's listed in the genealogy of Jesus through his stepfather, Joseph. Now, Rehoboam's life, we've come to the end here, is sadly summed up in this way. And how would you like this to read on your gravestone? Second Chronicles twelve fourteen, he did evil because he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. So sad. It is so sad. And when you think about it, our question is, am I throwing away my life's greatest privilege? You couldn't have had in those days a better privilege than to become the king of Israel. And Rehoboam threw that away. What do we learn from that? How do we put that in perspective in our own lives? Next week, we're going to fill in the rest of the story of how Jeroboam, we've we sort of put him to the side for right now, how Jeroboam reacted and responded, responded to all that had happened here with the Rehoboam part of the story. Each and every lesson should ring in our own ears as warnings on every level to keep sacred that which is sacred and discard that which is dark and deceptive. And folks, that's the key. That which is sacred, that be given to us as privilege from God, must remain so. That which is dark and deceptive needs to be disposed of. We can't play in between. Don't do what these kings did. Think about it. Folks, listen, we love hearing from our listeners. We welcome your feedback and questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. And as we mentioned, next week, we continue this really amazing story. Am I throwing away my life's greatest privilege? Part two. Talk to you then.